Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? We're in the book of Acts, and I want to tell you about a family, uh, the Smith family. The Smith family, I have a photo. Uh, they were really proud of their family tradition. You know, their ancestors had come to America on the Mayflower. Their descendants even included some of uh, their ancestors, included some of the founding fathers of our country. And then uh, from them, senators and uh, Major League Baseball players and Wall Street Wizards. And they decided at one point to compile a family history for their kids and grandkids just to remember everything about their family and to know their heritage. Well, uh, they hired a fine author and a historian to do it. They, they only had one problem, though. What would they do about Great Uncle George? See, Uncle George uh, was a bit of a criminal and in fact, he actually ended up being executed in the electric chair. He's the one mar on their family history. Well, the author told them, he said, I'll handle the story tactfully. And so a year or so later, when the book came out, here's what he wrote. He said, uh, great uncle George, he occupied a chair of applied electronics <laughs> at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties and his death came as a great shock. <laughs> by the way, that family in that photo is totally fake. It's uh, made with AI. But I wonder, have you ever thought, uh, what's the legacy that's gonna be told of you one day? Well, if somebody writes a history you know, of your family's life and they look back, are they gonna have to worry about great uncle so-and-so? And what are they going to say about you? What's your legacy going to be? Uh, what will you be known for when you're gone? Chances are you'll be known for some good things, right? Chances are you'll be remembered for some not so good things. That's all of us. And this thought comes to mind because today in the book of Acts, as we continue our series, we're in Acts chapter 20. And we're going to read about some of the very last times that Paul sees some of the people he led to Christ, some of the people in churches he planted, some of the people he dearly loves. And it's going to be the last time in this life that he ever sees them. He's going to leave this region. He's going to wrap up his third church planning journey uh, in the text today, and he's not going to return and he knows it. So what does he do? Well, uh, that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And as we do, I think it'll be a good challenge for us then to think about 
What is it, what if this was the last time we saw each other? What legacy would we leave with one another? Let's pray, and then we're gonna be in Acts 20. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. And Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to give us guys like Paul and so many generations after him of people who loved you, who followed you, who passed on the gospel even to us. So help me, Holy Spirit, as I teach your word. Help us as we look at uh, the end of Paul's journey here. And um, might you teach us and uh, speak to us in, in ways we need to hear and in ways that are helpful and help us be more like Christ and live out the call you've put on our lives. We thank you for Jesus and we pray all this through him. Amen. So that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today, the greatest legacy that we leave. What is the greatest legacy we leave? You know, each of us will leave some things in our wake. The question is what? The question is just what? As I mentioned before, uh, we're gonna trace the last time Paul visits some of these churches that, and people that he loves. So if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 20. And uh, while you're turning there, I just wanna remind you briefly kind of where we're at. We're in our 46th week studying this New Testament book. And uh, during that time, we've seen Paul make three separate uh, church planting, gospel, missionary journeys throughout uh, Asia. And as you remember, the last couple of weeks, we've been with Paul in the city of Ephesus on the west coast of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And last week, uh, we caught up with Paul there and he was making plans to leave Ephesus. It was in Acts chapter 19, and we read this in verse 21. Now, after these, uh, now, excuse me, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go on to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. He wanted to get eventually to Rome, and even we learn in the book of Romans that he wanted to make it past Rome all the way to Spain with the gospel. Well, uh, before he left, he, he sent into Macedonia, I'll show you where this is in a moment, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. But he stayed back in Asia, in Ephesus, for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance among the way. And as we uh, saw yesterday, or last Sunday, while he stayed a bit longer in Ephesus, a, a riot broke out in that city of 250,000 people that was uh, so intense, it required the mayor of the city to get up in front of uh, thousands of people in the theater and try to just calm everything down. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 19 or watch last week's message, but today we pick it up in chapter 20 where we read, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and he departed for Macedonia. Remember, this was his plan originally, right? Well, now he finally gets to the point where he says goodbye to the believers in Ephesus and he heads off to Macedonia. Uh, he said goodbye to many of them for the final time. It was the last time he'd ever see them after spending three years in Ephesus with them. And then he takes off uh, to catch up with Timothy and Erastus. And he has a lot to share with them, doesn't he, of everything that happened in Ephesus after they left? Well, um, again, here's just a map to show you uh, where he was gonna end up going. 
Paul's in Ephesus. He sends a Phil- or a Timothy and Erastus. They head up to Troas. This is modern-day Turkey. This is modern-day Greece. And they sail across. They go to Philippi, Thessalonica. They even make it all their way down to Corinth. And Paul takes off, and he's going to go catch up with them now. Now, um, the text tells us that Paul, after he follows them, he, he spent, we just read, when he had gone through those regions, he, he gave them much encouragement and he came to Greece and then he spent three months there in Greece or ultimately right here in the city of Corinth where Paul had been previously. And he spends three months with them. Well, um, you know, while Paul was in Ephesus, way back previous to this now, he had written a letter to that church in Corinth And he told them that he was planning to come see them again. And he said part of the reason he was coming was he was going to collect a financial gift from them to give to churches in Jerusalem because believers there were were being persecuted, they were struggling. And he's like, so I'm going to come, I'm going to collect a gift, and I'm going to take it back with me to Jerusalem. So I just want you to see this for a minute because it kind of sets things up. Keep your thumb in Acts and turn forward uh, to Corinthians. Probably, if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe 25 pages or so, uh, to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And here's what we read. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you're to do also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Uh, you know, Paul tells him in his letter, he's, he's in Ephesus when he writes this, he says, I'm gonna come see you in a number of months and uh, until then, every Sunday, the first day of each week, just put aside a little money as, each, as you prosper, as God gives to you, take some of that, put it aside that you can give it to share with our brothers and sisters who need it in Jerusalem. Financial generosity, regular giving, we've even was a regular part of the very early church. Um, if you're wondering, uh, you know, we don't pass a plate around here, but y- your gifts uh, make an impact on ministry here and around the world um, as you give. And you can give online. Just go to wawaseebible.com slash give. And uh, if the Lord wouldn't move your heart, you could do that each week, just like the believers here in Corinth. And he said, when I arrive then, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul's like, I'm not just gonna come get it and go. I want you to know what happens to it. So uh, you pick out a few people and send them with me and we'll all go back and we'll take it to Jerusalem. Then you know that it's being cared for well. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, then great, they'll accompany me, we'll all go. Verse five, he goes, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia. Remember, we just saw it. That's exactly what he did in Acts 20. For I intend to pass through there and perhaps I'll stay with you. Maybe I'll even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to just see you in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So again, Paul had written this letter to him, you know, and he was in Ephesus when he writes it. Now in Acts 20, he's on his journey and he gets there and he had told them, I want to spend some time with you. Maybe I'll spend the winter there because by the time he hops on a ship to sail back to Jerusalem, I mean, the winter months would be pretty treacherous travel by sea. So it's likely those three months he spends in, uh, 
in, in Greece is uh, during the winter. Well, in his letter, uh, he keeps saying, he goes, but I'm gonna stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost. Remember, he had sent Timothy and Erastus ahead to help. And it's very probable that Timothy and Erastus took that letter to Corinth after Paul wrote it and delivered it to him while Paul stayed a little bit longer in Ephesus. And he says, um, because here's what he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. He's carrying this letter, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. I'm expecting him with the brothers. So with that little detour over, let's go back to Acts 20. Paul goes to Corinth and he goes really for the last time. He spent three months there. And uh, after that three months though, when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he he was going to leave Corinth and sail to Syria, make his way from there to Jerusalem. But his plans got interrupted and not for the last time. Paul's plans continually get interrupted. He decided instead to go back the way he came and return through Macedonia. Uh, so here's what he does. Sopatar, the Berean, you're like, who are these guys? Son of Phyrus, or Pyrrhus, I'm not sure how to say that even, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, there was Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. Who are these guys? Remember what Paul wrote to Corinth? He said, hey, I'm gonna get your gift. You pick out some guys to send with me and we'll all take it back to Jerusalem. That's why these guys are going with him to take that gift to Jerusalem. Uh, well, these went on ahead and they were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So when they go back to Troas across the sea, he, Paul comes a little bit later and when he gets there, he comes to Troas and we stayed there for seven days. So again, back to the map. He had been in Ephesus. He went all this way. He wanted to take off and sail through the sea, but the plot stopped him. So he goes back the way he came, gets to Philippi, waits for Passover, and then he sails over to Troas where he stays a week with the believers there for the last time. Paul would never return to Philippi where he started a church, to Thessalonica, to Berea, to Athens, to Corinth. He would never return there again. Have you ever thought about the last time you'll be someplace? The last time you'll go somewhere? Or see someone? You know, every relationship, every trip, every lifetime eventually comes to an end on this side of eternity. It just does. What will you leave behind? What will be your legacy? You know, the truth is, to break it to you, you and I probably won't be remembered much at all. (laughs) So whatever legacy we leave, it it won't be about us. Um, Any lasting legacy anyway, and it'd be a mistake to make it about you. You know, Paul, in some of his words to the churches here, he, he said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, hey, you should do this. You should aspire to live quietly. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Paul's like, live a mundane life and honor God. That'd be a good thing. (laughs) Like, that's not what I want to do. I know, but a lot of life is kind of that way, isn't it? Honor God. 
any lasting legacy you leave won't be about you. Because if you make it about you, uh, life will feel empty and in a hurry and we might even brag and boast about the things we want to do, but Jesus' little brother James says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, what is your life anyway? You're a mist that appears for no little time and then vanishes, and that's it. You know, that's really true, isn't it? How many of you, as you've gotten older, you just feel like, man, this life is going so fast. (laughs) Yeah, so fast. And it just speeds up as you go. We spend so much time trying to accomplish big things, but the reality is most of it won't last or be remembered. Like, man, Josh, you are just cheering me up today. It was dreary when I came in and cold and wet, and now you're telling me all this. Well, I mean, think about it, though. How many of you can remember your great-great-grandfather? You had eight of them. Do you know any of them? That's only a few generations in your own family. So what legacy could we possibly leave? You know, uh, Solomon, the wisest man, said there's no remembrance of former things, nor nor will there be any remembrance of later things to come. Later things yet to be among those who come after. James said we're a mist. And then we vanish. Let me introduce you to this guy. His name is uh, Charles Thomas Studd. He was a missionary to China and India and Africa. And, and he actually was kind of a stud. He was a stud cricket player. He was one of the best cricket players of his day. Major League. Uh, his dad became a Christian during one of D.L. Moody's uh, evangelistic campaigns in England and later Uh, Charles and his two brothers came to faith in Christ. And here's what he said about it. He said, I got down on my knees and I said, thank you to God. And right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. He had been really pushing it off. He just, he's like, "Ah, I believe he died. I don't really believe he died for me. I don't know that I really care. But eventually God, God got a hold of his heart and he prays these things. And he's like, and then at that moment, right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. And I knew what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry before, became everything to me. Now, he was an incredible cricket player of his day. And he went to Cambridge. And at Cambridge, uh, after God got a hold of his heart, he, he, he had kind of just a lazy Christian life for the first six to seven years, he said. But then uh, after his time in Cambridge, God really got a hold of him. He heard and uh, read from Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. And he and uh, six others, they were, ended up being known as the Cambridge Seven, head over and spend their life, pretty much all of them, their entire lives in missions, serving the Lord and reaching people with the gospel. Because what happened was in 1884, his brother George fell seriously ill And he was just confronted with the question. He's like, you know, I'm a great cricket player, but what's all this fame and flattery worth when I come to face eternity? (laughs) He said, he goes on, he writes, he says, I knew that cricket wouldn't last. Honor wouldn't last. Nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. And so he ends up writing this poem and the repeating refrain in the poem is this, only one life, will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
the legacy we leave is right there. Only I would, add, I would actually change what he writes just a little bit, I think. The theologian in me wants to say, only what's done with Christ will last. Because uh, Jesus said many would come in the end who'd say they'd done all kinds of things for him. And he would say, I never knew you. Depart from me. But it's those who know him and do it with him. Those things will last. And, and really, that's the intent of what Charles Studd was saying. When you become a Christian, you know Jesus, he knows you, and everything you do is actually done with him. Therefore, you don't leave your own legacy. You just get to join in the legacy that he's living. And that legacy will last. In other words, your legacy, if you really want to leave one, it's all about Jesus. That was an amen, I'm pretty sure. It's all about Jesus. It is. See, Stud was right. Only what's done for Christ or with Christ will ultimately last. I wonder, two questions. First, are you a Christian? Have you trusted Christ? Do you know him? I hope you do. Uh, Second, are you abiding with him and connected to him? Or are all your efforts merely that, your own efforts? Included in what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, one of the other things he wrote to them, um, is that the things we do of our own strength for our own legacy, they ultimately burn. He's like, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's been laid. That foundation is Jesus. A person may build on it using gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but each person's work will be shown in the end for what it is. On judgment day, it'll be brought to light. It'll be put through the fire, and the fire will test how good everyone's work is. If the building doesn't burn up, God will give the builder a reward, but if the building burns up, the builder will lose everything. He'll be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What are you building? Are your efforts connected to Christ? See, the greatest legacy we leave, and and most of you, if we talk about leaving a legacy, who do you want to leave it for? You really want to leave it for those that you love, right? We want to leave it for the people we love. So as we keep reading, what I want you to see, we're going to see Paul's last time with these people. We're going to see that he really loved these people. Look at some of the people he loved. Let's keep reading verse 7 in Acts 20. On the first day of the week, remember he had gotten to Troas now, north of Ephesus. When we were gathered together to break bread, Luke is writing, he said, Paul talked with them. And he was intending to depart on the very next day. So he prolonged his speech until midnight. This would be the last time now that he sees the believers in Troas. So he kept talking into the night. Why? Because he really loved these people. He genuinely loved them. His letters to Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi make it clear how much he loved the people God sent him to serve. I mean, look at some of his words. He said to the Corinthians, he's like, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. To the church in Philippi, he said, brothers whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, stand firm. He he loved them. You know, um, friends, as your pastor, um, I am so far from perfect. But one of the things I hope you know is that I love you, that I genuinely do care about you, 
your families. Um, you can ask Hannah, you know. One of the hardest things as a pastor is, uh, is when people leave because you love them and you care about them. And so I just want to make sure I say it, that I love you. And I can relate to what Paul also writes to the church in Corinth. He says he was bragging about them. You know, he's like, a, a boasting of mine won't be silenced. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows I love you. And um, I share with Paul on that. I brag about you guys to other pastors, other churches throughout our district all the time. And um, I love being your pastor. I love you. All right, enough crying. Verse seven. So Paul was with them and he loved them. He stayed until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And uh, a young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window. This, by the way, is, in my opinion, one of the funniest stories in the Bible. He was sitting at the window and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Some of you are like, yeah, you can relate to Paul. I can relate to those people, Josh, because sometimes you talk still longer and I get sleepy. FYI, young here might mean anywhere from you know, 13 up to early 30s. Just depends, that word can mean all of those. And uh, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So this guy fell asleep. The moral of the story is don't fall asleep during any of my sermons. <laughs> but Paul went down, he bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, hey, don't be alarmed. Life is in him. His life is in him. I think God healed him. As Paul prayed for him and cared for him. And uh, when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. See, look at how he loved him. After Eutychus is raised back to life, what do they do? Hey, let's go eat. So they go back upstairs, they have more food, and they just keep talking until daybreak all night long. You ever have friends you do that with? That's what Paul was doing here with the people he loved. And then they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. How crazy is that? Paul loved these people. By the way, you know there's a, a preaching book, there were some profs that wrote a book about preaching called Saving Eutychus, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Um, Gary Miller, and I noticed the other author this morning, Phil Campbell. Some of you guys know Phil. Phil uh, had surgery this week. He's doing well. And um, Phil, if you're watching, we love you. Uh, but like, like Paul, friends, uh, he loved these people, and you and I were sent to love. That's our mission. It's what Jesus sent us to do, to love God, to love each other, to love those who are far from God. I mean, Galatians, he writes to him, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. It's really, it's really hard to, by the way, love people that you hate or speak evil against, so keep that in mind maybe in an election year. The, these are Paul's last words, his last moments with these people on his journey. What legacy will he leave? Here's what it is. He's gonna point them to Jesus who loves them even more. And this is the greatest legacy you and I can leave with our lives. Uh, that's surely much of what Paul was doing that long night in Troas. And, and then he keeps going on to do the same with others. So let's keep reading. Verse 13. 
but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had, for, for he had arranged that, intending himself to go by land. Paul walks to the next place. I'm guessing he had other people he wanted to see for the last time on his way out of town. And so he meets him there. Uh, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and we went to Mytilene and, from, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite of Chios. And the next day we touched at Samus and the day after that we went to Miletus. Uh, here's a map of those places just where Paul goes. He was in Troas and here he departs. Instead of going to Ephesus, he kind of sails down the coast and ends up in this city called Miletus. Uh, he skips Ephesus this time. Maybe, maybe due to all the unrest, you know, about a year prior, that previous summer or fall, whenever it was, uh, so we wouldn't have to run into those people again. But I think the bigger reason he skipped Ephesus, though, uh, was he knew so many people there, and he loved them so much, he knew he would never get out of town if he went to Ephesus. Uh, Paul decided to sail past it so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He was hastening. He wanted to get to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost, and uh, in his lifetime in Ephesus, Paul just he continually pointed people to Jesus with the way he lived his life. And you and I, one of the ways we can point people to Christ is the way we live. Just living an honoring life before others. Not that we never sin and we never mess up. We all do. But generally speaking, do you, do you, do you honor Christ with your life? We should do the same. Paul did. It's the greatest legacy we can leave, to live in such a way that while far from perfect, people see Jesus in us, you know, in our gentleness, in our speech, in our love for people, in our patience, in our tears, in our joy, in our victories, in our trials, in our humility. Now, uh, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. He couldn't go on without seeing some of them, though. And he called the elders of the church to come to him. He didn't have time to see everyone, but he had to see some. And when he starts talking to them, he references what we just talked about. When they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you. He lived his life honoring Christ among them. The whole time, from the very first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me, through the plots of the Jews, they saw Paul's Christ-likeness in the good times and in the really hard times. And uh, how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, notice it wasn't just how he lived, but it was also uh, with his words. See, you can live a life honoring to Christ, but at some point, too, you, you've you got to open your mouth, too, to really point people to Jesus, don't you? With our words. And now, behold, Paul says, I'm, I'm going on to Jerusalem. I'm uh, constrained or, or compelled by the Spirit to go, not, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that... Uh, the Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. God had just revealed to him in his spirit, like, I know I gotta go, and I know it's not gonna end well, 
but I know that's where God has me going. And he goes. He goes, because I, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What a great verse. What a great life call for all of us, whatever ministry he's given you. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're sent. You're like, I'm not a pastor, Josh. Yeah, but you're, you're in ministry because you know Jesus. And if you're called by Jesus, you're sent by Jesus. So might you finish the ministry he's given to you. And, and now he says, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's saying, I lived a Christ-honoring life, and, and I have a confidence that uh, I, I shared the gospel. I, I did what I could. I didn't shrink from it. And then he it gives them some instruction as elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Because I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And even from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be alert, Paul tells him, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you, here it is, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all, among all those who are sanctified. And Paul continues and he ends with this. He says, Luke says, uh, when he had said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Friends, um, when that day comes for you, what legacy will you live? Leave with the people you love. I would commend to you that the only true lasting legacy you can leave is in the good and the bad, the ugly and the beautiful, point people to Jesus with your life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done with Christ will last.